Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. Um, thank you for tuning in. I am here with my son, Zion Jasper Fatal. Hi. We had planned on doing this uh, probably like a month ago when I was doing the episodes on adulting and could not get the app to work properly. He was in L.A. and I was here. And so we postponed it, tried again, still didn't work, postponed it. And then he surprised me for my birthday. And he is here in the room with me today. Right here in the flesh. (sighs) Trying to stay awake. (laughs) (laughs) You want to say hi, Jasper Typical? Hi, everyone. Yeah, if that was confusing, my real name is Zion, but my stage name is Jasper Typical. I I make music and all that, and uh, if there's any confusion about that, that should clear it up a little bit. Yeah, and you can plug whatever you want to plug after we're done. Why, thank you. Yeah, that's what I do. So, we are here in my room talking about going back to adulting. For this episode, I think we could probably talk about adulting forever forever. (laughs) and still not have it figured out or maybe not have the approach to ourselves that we want, but we're unpacking it today. So I asked Zion if he would maybe talk a little bit about what it's been like to go straight out of high school to a massive city living with complete strangers well not complete strangers but for a while it was complete strangers and getting a job and all the things that um moving into official adulthood um entails and i i asked him if he would talk a little bit about that and then i'm going to ask him questions So hopefully this not only helps somebody listening or at least reminds us that we're probably way too hard on ourselves, but I also hope that it helps you and I. (laughs) I could use a little help there. Yeah. So I can't control the street outside, but we're going to do our best to be as loud as possible. Yep. Sounds like a plan. So do you want to say a little bit about how you ended up in L.A. and um, kind of summing up what that initial move was like for you? Yeah, um, for for those who are listening, I um, partway through my junior year of high school, I started really getting into making music. I always had a we were always a super musical family, but um, I found myself actually diving into what it was like to record it myself, um, something that before then I'd been really afraid of. Um, I used it as kind of like a, a, a retreat because life was just not going the way I hoped it would and things were just super rough. And so having a platform like that to constantly try and perfect it every night when I get home from school, sometimes even in class, all that. Oh, really? Um, of course, uh, (laughs) having something like that in the beginning was really helpful. And from that, uh, as, as things got harder, I found myself leaning way, way into it. And it almost became like my only escape from like, you know, the turmoils of what, you know, any high schooler is is going through um but uh out of that i built a lot of cool musical connections and ended up being on this documentary for this uh, boy band brockhampton um but and that put me onto a community of these guys who were trying to start this collective and i ran into the the lead member um while going to comic-con with my family one summer and from there, I, I joined a group of very like-minded people who pushed me and challenged me to be a better artist every day, which is the one thing I felt like I was missing was, you know, you hear something from your parents, you go like, yeah, yeah. I mean, because you're in high school, but like hearing it from people who are literally in the same position as you, just trying to get by, you trust it a little more. 
So having that was really special for me. And um, when I started hearing whispers of like the idea of moving to Los Angeles to pursue it because our lead member was starting to get some traction. Um, and he's in San Diego. And he's in San Diego. Um, so moving to Los Angeles wouldn't, wouldn't be too much of a jump for him, but it was something that just seemed so, so impossible, but also like everybody's dream. So like hearing something like that and hearing that that was possible, I, I, I felt very dead set on it. And, um, so when senior year came around for me and I, I approached my parents with that proposition, um, and, and thank God they were, um, you know, open and excited about it. Um, we, from there, we just started the process of what it would mean, um, for me to move out there and, um, in the beginning, it was me in San Diego and Oceanside, just like hoping and hoping that like something would come out and I'd find a place to to live in Los Angeles. But for a while, it was super, super hopeless. And it was very, very um, it was terrifying um, being almost alone in a position like that for the first time ever. Um, trying to move into the city that everyone wants to be in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, after a load of waiting and, and working hard, I found a place through a friend of my dad's, and we, me and, and another member of the group were moved in. Maybe it had to be two months after my original move-in to San Diego date. So... Um, that was super exciting and it's been a year, um, on October 1st, um, since that, um, initial move. And since then, uh, originally it was me, um, my friend Troy, who's also in the group and then a bunch of other folks who were already established in the house and slowly as people moved, we would move more members of the group in and, uh, by the end of the year, everyone from the group club moved into Los Angeles, and um, yeah, it's been like either in the house with you, either in the house in or just own. in the city, yeah. um, on their own, and so that alone being able to achieve a um, oh, oh, so at one point what seemed unimaginable and impossible goal, um, is both intoxicating and and like I said, terrifying, yeah. um. So it leaves a lot of like lasting, I wouldn't say trauma, but, um, you know, you're left with a lot of kind of, you, you had just had to grow like all this, all, all that much in the span of like, you know, a few months and, and become this adult living on your own. And I didn't really think about that part before I was just thinking, oh, I'm going to live with like people that inspire me and that's going to be awesome. Didn't really think about the, oh, you know, of course I thought about getting a job, but I wasn't as much thinking about like, oh, I have to, you know, do all these adult things. I have to go grocery shopping on a regular basis. I have to keep up with my dentistry. I have to find a laundromat, find a laundromat, you know, <laughs> all these things that, you know, I mean, everybody knows is part of your, your common daily life. But like when you're living with your parents and, and you're going to high school and every day is wake up, go to school, make sure you have all your stuff in on time and then you know, for me, it was go home, make music, go to sleep and then rinse and repeat every day. Yeah. Uh, when that schedule is shifted um, and in the beginning when I didn't have a job, it was like it was pretty. It was it was freaky. It was it was super unfamiliar. I, I know I'm kind of getting carried away. I'm going on a tangent, but like, yeah, the whole experience is both incredible and, and life changing and inspiring as it is or and just like completely frightening and i don't know it's yeah it's kind of hard to get a real grip on i think one of the things too is you know you said i hadn't really thought about it but i think even if you think about it it's like you you know people say stuff about having kids and what that's going to be like and i remember having this conversation with a friend one time and he was like, yeah, we're finally going to start having kids. We were waiting to get their entire college fund in the bank <laughs> before we started having them. And one, that's a very privileged position. I can't even imagine 
that. Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> but checks out. Yeah. But the other thing is it doesn't matter how much you prepare. There isn't there's all these unknowns that there is no way to prepare for. You can't really prepare for something that you have no idea what it's going to be like. It's like a deck of cards. It's like you have no real idea of what you're going to grab next. It's just kind of like, you know, going with the flow and like as much as possible build, you know, build little routines and, um, and, you know, tendencies that will help you survive and, and be more, I don't know, I mean, live your life a little more cohesively, if that makes sense. Just each day starts to feel more like, oh, I'm actually doing something. I'm not just like laying around until two and then going out and walking for three hours and then coming home and not having anything. Once you get a job, um, at least for me, it was very much like, okay, now I can build my life schedule around what my hours are because I'll get my hours like, you know, a few days before I actually have to work that week so I can know like, okay... This day I'll make sure I'm doing this. This day I'll make sure I'm doing that. And that with that, um, funny enough, something that people resent having a job, it's like with that, um, I was able to start building the foundation of what it meant for me to be an adult. Because I'm, I'm all for um, being a child as, as long as you can. <laughs> I think people are really afraid of that. But not being immature but but keeping the childlike imagination alive yeah that childish nature is something that's going to keep you alive and keep you going Mm -hmm. it's like if you invalidate that you know sure be my guest do whatever you need to do to get by but like um me personally and the people that i love and the people i choose to be around are people who can be goofy and can be you know yeah can put themselves in uncomfortable positions because they know that, you know, it's going to pay off. And that's adulting. But sometimes to get to those uncomfortable positions, yeah, I think to get to those uncomfortable positions, you have to do a little bit of childish stuff. Like, for me, like, trying to get into the music industry and and talking to label heads and talking to these A&R guys. And, like, for me, what has always grabbed attention is immediately going in and just being a goofball and being like, oh, that show is wild. Like, how did you mosh? And what was your favorite song? And stuff that like, and just making yourself out to be the human that you really are because people get turned off by this very, very fake um, persona that people can put on when they're trying to be adults. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's like, you're going to get way further being the person that you've always felt like you are um like embracing the part of yourself that maybe other people would try to hide because they would think it's not professional yeah maybe the part that you put a little less thought into a little like the kind of the i don't know can i swear on here uh yes (laughs) The, the, the fuck it the fuck it mentality is something that i live by now yeah like something like i'll get home from work and i'm like you know I don't really want to work on music, but I do want to go on a 12-mile walk. Fuck it. I'm going to go on that yeah. and do that. You know, even if I know when I get home, I'm going to have blisters on my feet. I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to know, like, at least I got that, you know, yeah. those endorphins out. At least I was able to, you know, stay active and maybe have a friend come with me. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, yeah. So I have some questions I want to ask you, but I thought we take a little break and then um, I, I'll ask you some questions about like some more pointed questions about what it's like to move into well, for lack of a, I don't know if I want to say it that way what it's like to it's almost like what it's like to be an adult but you're 19 almost 20 so the world considers you an adult in lots of different ways and then in some ways penalizes you like you can't fully be an adult it's not even about drinking but it's like you can die for your country you can vote you can't drink you can have certain jobs but you can't have those other jobs because they sell alcohol in those jobs or whatever it's not even about the alcohol but it's just we're going to let you be an adult in all of these ways, and then we're going to punish you in other ways for being an adult. we're going to restrict you. Yeah, so I want to talk about that, but we're going to take a break. Okay. 
Zion had to take a little break to text his love interest. Oh yeah, look at that <laughs> wicked stuff. <laughs> we won't name. We don't name. We won't drop their name on here, but. Because who knows how long that'll last. Oh, oh, <laughs> so a little mean to yourself. <laughs> anyway, um, so you know, there's so many complications to being an adult that don't just happen you know, moving into adulthood. One of the things that I've talked about on here or maybe somewhere else is just, um, you know, sometimes we have to move into adulthood way earlier than we're ready for. Like I was doing adult things that were not the fun part of being an adult, you know, at 16 and 14. And that left a mark on me that, I really didn't want for you and your sister. But there's some things about being an adult, whether you're, you know, 14 or 80, that there's the unspoken things that you feel like you should know. So I've talked a lot about that on here, and Molly talked about it, and your dad talked about it. But I think everybody kind of has a different, a different take on it. Like, I have things that I assume I should know by some kind of osmosis, like every, like there's a, there's a line in my head that's saying every adult knows how to do X, Y, and Z. And probably that's not true. Um, And what I think every adult should know, or every other adult besides me knows, is different between me and dad or me and Molly or me and Tunny or whoever, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you can speak to, are there things that you sh- thought, you know, whenever you thought about moving out on your own that you thought you should know how to do or you thought would be different than they actually were? And if you could speak to that a little bit. Um, I think that, um having bosses i mean i had a job before i moved but i was working for a friend's dad um and and that you know that was something way different for me but like now working for you know people i i'd never met beforehand and like you know i can realize that you know it's i maybe this isn't you know universal but like in my job position like these are just these are scared people or anxious people or people that you know have trouble being in a power position and stuff and once I can notice that and recognize that it makes it a lot easier to take the filter back off my my work life and start realizing like oh these are all struggling people and like nobody really wants to be here which really makes I don't this is probably cynical but it made the experience of going to work a little bit more positive for me because I can know like yeah I hate this, but like, so does everyone and everyone's just trying to get home. So making mistakes, there's a little more room for that, you know? Like, are you saying you've left more room for them to make mistakes and also given yourself more room? Well, yeah, I think that the mentality of everyone's like just trying to go home. Everyone wants the day to be over. Everyone just wants to get their paycheck at the end of the day. leaves a lot more room to like make a mistake. I'm someone who can be really critical of myself. And so like, in a, in a uh, I don't know, environment like that where I can just kind of be like, I don't need to be that way right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something I wasn't expecting out of getting a job, especially in West Hollywood. Um, I was expecting just like getting cracked down on, you know, having my like, I, like for the first few months of working there, I just like, I would make little mistakes and be afraid I'd get fired. Mm-hmm. And then looking back at them, I'm, I laugh because I'm like, there's no, I've done far worse than that. <laughs> and like, well, I'm I'm guessing you also, if you thought to your, you know, if you would have told your high school self, you'll be working in West Hollywood, what do you think you would have thought about that? I would have thought it was awesome. And now I'm just kind of like, oh, West Hollywood, fantastic. Yeah. It's like 45-minute bus ride, and there's freaking people spitting on me on the bus and tourists everywhere and all this kind of bullshit, you know, but like... That's not to say I don't like it, because the magic's there. I went and saw, like, movies at the, you know, the Arclight Theater and, like, the Cinerama, yeah, Cinerama, and I'm like, 
this is crazy. You walk out and you, how much history has happened in that location. You can kind of yeah. feel it, but you can also smell urine. <laughs> you can also and see human people. suffering. There and is so yeah, much human see suffering people, around seriously. that. Like I saw a woman the other day just on her knees praying, like in the middle of it was like ten o'clock at night, just praying to like the only piece of luggage that she had on her. She had clearly been living outside, and it was just like damn and then you just see people like in their little suits on their like smartphones walking by like paying no attention to that i was kind of moved by that because it's like um that's part of why i really love the neighborhood i live in because i live i live in uh essentially what is historic filipino town echo park and silver lake and i'm directly in the middle of all of that and so i see a lot of everything you have like the kind of preppy like super like professional aspect of silver lake merged with echo park where there's this like crazy like hip music scene and also hugely gentrified hugely gentrified and then you've got um historic filipino town where there's there's totally aspects of that but you also have these you know struggling latinx families who are just trying to get by day to day like they're going paycheck by paycheck and then you've got you know like these super beat up apartment buildings where these people sleeping outside like you know begging to like come inside for a night or you know all these kind of crazy things that you see and always happening in this one place and it's really humbling um for me i i our neighborhood when i was younger it was like it was a super family-run neighborhood super like you know everyone knew each other but there was still like gang violence and there was there was drug use and there was all this. And I mean, our house was the biggest <laughs> drug ring in the, in the neighborhood before we moved, before in. <laughs> we moved in, of course. Uh, but you know, I, I might, I have roots in that. And so when yeah. I'm in this neighborhood that, that reminds me of that, I, I get this warm feeling and, I, and I, I get to learn from that. And I don't feel like, cause I feel, I feel like if I immediately just, just went right into a neighborhood, like, like if I was in the smack dab in the middle of Silver Lake or Echo Park, I feel like I wouldn't, get the privilege of of seeing how rough it can get in that city because los angeles is a hard city to live in no matter who you are yeah um and so being able to like you know see that firsthand is it really helps with writing music it really helps with you know being more familiar with yourself and what you're capable of achieving in the city because you can see how much ambition is all around you yeah well also one of the things that i took away from being in your neighborhood was it is there is every kind of person there exactly every kind of language every every i feel like every pretty much yes it's historic filipino town but it seems like there is every kind of immigrant family trying to make it oh yeah in that area i mean there's so many amazing diverse kinds of shops los angeles is just an extremely diverse city and that's the beautiful thing about it is everyone there is essentially i mean everyone's got their different skill sets and the different things they want to do but everyone is there for a reason and that's to make it work and that's i could not i i don't i don't think i have yeah and i could not make it there i didn't think i was gonna i don't i still don't think that sometimes that i can make it work in that city and then somehow that's the crazy thing about this city is the city makes it work you know well that's one of the things i wanted you to speak about is one of i remember one of the conversations that we had when you first moved to la because like you said, I don't know if everybody got it, but when we first moved Zion there, we moved him to our dear friends, the Whites' house. And he was able to stay there for a month and then he needed to move, but he it's very difficult to find a job when you're not in the LA area Seriously. or a place to or a place to live. And so then he moved in with our good friend Vivian, who let him couch surf. What what's that called with Vivian? Oceanside. Oceanside, yeah. And I was there for six weeks. Yeah, and then um, was able to find the apartment. So one of the, so that's just the backdrop. So once he got to L.A., one of the things that I remember us talking about on the phone was how you felt, not just who you are as a Portland boy 
Portland person. Because mm. you, you, we haven't talked about this on the podcast, but you go by he, right? Yeah, he, he, him. Um, but as a bi person mm. living in a city, also, I mean, it's an open city, just like Portland, but at the same time, there's things about Portland that are different than L.A., and, and there's things about our family, the values that our family has held dear, and one of the, those values has been emotional intelligence, vulnerability, especially as a man, owning your shit as best as you can, and I remember you just saying, I don't think people get me here. They don't trust that I am who I say I am. For real. And I'm wondering if maybe you could tell a story that kind of illustrates that. If you can't, that's fine. Or if you, and how that's changed over time. Because one of the, a conversation I had, this is funny, I went in, this I think this is before you moved, so I went into Trader Joe's one day and, and I was talking to this guy and he was like, how are you doing? You know, and I think they never expect me to answer. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm moving my son to L.A. and he's only 19. So it's a mixed bag. And he was like, oh, I he goes, well, what's he going to do? And I go, he's going to pursue his music career. And he was like, I did that. And L.A. just about killed me. I left so jaded. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I hope that doesn't happen to him. I hope he's able to hold on to you know who he is and not get jaded and I was like me too um and so I wanted you to to maybe tell a story about what illustrated that I'm different than other people here and people don't trust it and then also ways that you're able to keep from getting jaded in a city that seems very jaded yeah um i think for me um speaking of it on a more blanketed platform i i think that um i don't know like i always just kind of knew people were gonna get the fact that i was sensitive and so i started just kind of serving it on a silver platter just being like hey guys like you're you've decided to be my friend and just as a heads up like you know I take relationships really seriously. I care about people. I'm, I try my hardest to be an unconditional lover. Um, but the trade-off for that is I'm super, super sensitive. And, like, I can get my feelings hurt really easily. Or I can, you know, there's good that comes out of being sensitive. Like, I I get emotionable, emotionable. I get emotional <laughs> about things a lot easier whether that's a movie or a song, and that can help me really be more inspired. But, um, you know, being someone who's struggled with their sexuality their whole life, it, you know, being told by, by kids in school that being sensitive and being emotional is just a sign of weakness and a sign of, like, you know, oh, you're you're a faggot or you're whatever they wanted to call yeah. me. Um, and so, like, when when stuff comes, you know, when I have a past in hearing that kind of stuff, but I'm also about empowering myself and empowering who I am. Um, and I, I've kind of established a, a safe space for myself in the city at my school. I had a, a really fantastic experience with that at my high school. Um, just with, it felt like a safe space and mm-hmm. and people you know, always just like to stay, you know, people like staying informed and if they had any opinions of it, they kept it to themselves and, and that was always nice. And But getting to a city where everyone just wants to say what they feel and not in a sensitive way, but just in a, I need the floor. This is mm. my, this is my, my time like of day. Yeah, it, it becomes like, you know, people get those two things mixed together. And so like, if I'm getting really hurt by something and I'm like, I just need to like, you know, take a break because I'm going to say something I don't mean. And they're like, well, whatever you need to say, like, say it. And then it's like, well, that I'm no. <laughs> like, yeah, not everything is beneficial. Yeah. Like, I promise you, like, whatever I'm going to say is not going to be what I mean. It's not going to be, you know, productive. And, you know, stuff like that happened a lot when I first got there, being like hurt by little tiny, like, <laughs> like gestures or like, kind of like stink eye or something or like I'm talking and someone goes like 
okay. Or like, yep. And I'm kind of just like, oh, sweet. You know, so like stuff like that happened. And in order to like, and there was way darker stuff that like, I don't necessarily want to get into, but like there, there were things that really shaped like, and really, really exposed my underbelly when it came to that stuff. And it made me really uncomfortable. And for a while, I... And still, sometimes I struggle with just, like, not giving myself the space to cry. When I used to, like... I used to work with kids in outdoor school, um, which is just, like, a camp. as a camp counselor. And in doing that, like, I always used to encourage the kids, like, you know, they miss their parents or they're nervous about something or they're, you know... All this is completely new to them. And I always just encourage them to feel their feelings and if they needed to cry they could cry if they needed to get angry you know don't hurt anyone but like you're completely like find something that you can do that'll let you get that negative energy out feel your feelings and i found myself not you know going by my own standard i was Mm. completely avoiding that because it made me uncomfortable and it made me you know nervous and it, it made me anxious and I'm I'm like also someone who really thrives in being out of their comfort zone. I think everyone does once they realize it, but like I just was in feeling scared about re-exposing my underbelly. I just strayed away from that and it, and it really started taking its toll and and it, it made me disassociate with myself and it made me have all these like negative feelings about the people in my life, the myself, all these, all these things that I just didn't really feel like I had this time or the space for or the energy for. I didn't ever want to feel those things. And so once I started kind of taking that head on, I started going to therapy again and I switched from, you know, going once a month to once a week and, you know, started going on more walks and doing the things that helped me just like that forced me to think about stuff that I didn't necessarily want to think about and got me to that breaking point that I'd been so uncomfortable since I'd moved or uncomfortable with since I'd moved like crying and all that once I started finding the tools that were going to help me get to that place um you know it didn't fix things it didn't mend it but I put a band-aid on it and it helped me start to realize oh like people have to understand and people have to um accept me for who I am just the same way I need to do that with them like if they're not comfortable with my sensitivity I have to take that at face value and I have to find ways to you know adjust the way that I'm acting so I'm not stressing them out or triggering them or anything like that um and once I started realizing that nothing is really cut and dry but there's a lot of very solid like points that you can start at, you know there's a lot of ways that you can you can go in and there's a, just already a ton of like tools that people have come up with like whether it's your therapist or the people in your life and if you lean into those tools and you start mm-hmm. and you actually give them the time of day like for me I would call like my best best friends um Elliot and Julian I would just I would get them on the phone and we would just talk the talk and we and then when we were done talking we'd be done talking and I found that like oh, I'm getting emotional when I'm talking to these people because I care about them. Oh, I still have that part of me. Mm. I don't need to disassociate with mm. that. Um, once and I started... Yeah. Well, I was going to say, they also, they're safe people for you. You're exactly. not doing that with people that aren't safe right now. Yeah, and once I was comfortable with that and, and being able to... And it's not even about being comfortable. It's once I was, you know getting into the the grind of of doing that and being more consistent with that it just got easier going back to my day-to-day and and rekindling relationships and earning back people's trust Mm -hmm. and earning my trust back with people Mm -hmm. and 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 your trust back with yourself yeah and that's something I'm still still learning it's it's hard I've made a lot of mistakes that I don't think I should get a pass on sometimes when in reality like I think everyone deserves to make mistakes and to not be represented by them, you know, forever, when forever. They're, when they're trying to say sorry, if you need you know? to get called out on your shit, then you need to get called out on your shit. And I'm perfectly okay with that. Um, but you know, also, you know, nobody wants to have that shit on them forever. And yeah. And especially if they're trying to own it, make amends, do better, 
you should be able to move past something that you've done for sure and and out of out of you know these experiences i've had like it it made things so much clearer to me how like the people that i love and the people i choose to have in my life cope with things so differently mm. and i have to be okay with that and i t- i also if i love them at times i have to really really validate that even if i don't know if i trust it or even if i don't know it's what's right because it's what they established for themselves and that's why I call those people and that's why I ask for advice mm-hmm. from those people and that's why I ask how those people's days are going because I want to get insight and I want to be there for them and in order to do that I have to be okay with the full package and mm-hmm. and that means if I want people to ex- accept me for the mistakes that I made and forgive me for the mistakes that I made then I have to be willing to do the same um, and you know once once you start to learn that and in high school it's so weird because everyone's addicted to the drama of things and all of that it's it's really sometimes that doesn't go away after high school yeah true it's just it's a super super false representation college is the same way it's a super false representation of what the real world is like and those things are so so temporary and what's really important is you know the people you surround yourself with and the person that you know you can be and like if if both of those things are not a priority for you then like it's you you got to readjust yourself and and I'm not saying like what's your problem but it's it's just a very very apparent thing that like I'm I'm getting I'm getting this shot. Oh, cause the dog. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll take a little break. Um, sorry, I clipped out a second there, but um, I was just talking about how, um, in high school it's really easy to get caught up in the drama. Um, same with college, but once you get out and you realize, oh, the real world doesn't work this way, I gotta start, you know, representing myself better and the people that I love better. Um. You know, things really set in the motion, but at the same time, you can make these mistakes that aren't, you know, aren't true to yourself. And, um, and that was something I had learned and I had started realizing. And at the same time, I was around a bunch of people who were also in that transitionary mm-hmm. point where yeah. they weren't necessarily familiar with those mistakes and they were also making them. And so when we're all making them together, we're all on high alert and we're all like, oh, well, this person told me this isn't okay, so I'm going to correct you on it because it's not okay in general. And it just gets it gets messy. And, um, you know, once you become familiar with that, um, it gets... It can be easier to take it on um, and, and to start having open conversations about it and to start noticing what didn't work in conflicts and what did and and start going into getting going into things with a more um pinpoint idea of what you need to talk about before you do because yeah you know that was something that i knew how to do with my family but then when you get into this new environment where you're talking to some people who've never had a family resource that would ever even imagine doing that with them um it gets difficult um and it can be yeah, because everybody has their own way of doing conflict. Yeah, and so, yeah, when you're in a house with a bunch of guys who are all trying to figure out at the same time, but all come from different backgrounds, everyone is feels and should feel like they're validated and, and also should feel like they have the floor sometimes, especially in, in a group setting or in a... Yeah, when you're trying to build something. Yeah, when you're trying to build a, a band like we are, and so... Now that, now that it's, it's, you know, we have almost everyone here, it's just getting, getting more familiar with what ticks people off or what, you know, what other people kind of have difficult time with or, you know, so you're not just picking on it every time or you're not getting picked on for your things yeah, every you're time. Not sticking your finger in that open wound. Exactly. You you're just, avoid it. you're just letting things play out. And then if you're hurt by something or you find something like, off there's a space for that because you've established that it's okay to feel uncomfortable together Mm -hmm. um and you know it took a long time to figure that out and i think we're all figuring that out i'm personally figuring that out um but 
once you start taking the baby steps, it you can you feel more motivated to have those conversations. And so yeah. that's something I definitely was not prepared for before I left. I wasn't thinking I was thinking it was all gonna be like peaches and cream, like biscuits and <laughs> gravy, like and it wasn't. And yeah. and I think that's the beautiful thing of it all is like if you can move on from that, then the relationships can only get better from there to me. Yeah. Unless they're abusive and then Yeah, and then you need to get you know out. call me, talk to your talk to people about yeah. it, tell the people you love that you feel nervous, you feel scared, um, because, you know, your pain is is as valid as all of that. Mhm. One of the things I think that you weren't prepared for. And again, it's one of those things that you cannot be prepared for, really. And I mean, because I've lived so many places and had to reestablish, you know, every time I've lived somewhere, I at least had had experience where I could say to you, you know, it's going to take about six months to kind of feel like you know the area, like you're six months for it to start to kind of feel like home you know you know where you're going you know how to get to your job you're starting to build relationships and about a year to kind of feel like it's home and you have friends but I know for you other than the guys in your house it's been difficult to establish friendships how has that how has that affected you um you know, when you live with people, those are your roommates. And for the people listening who have experiences with roommates, it's like it's like having a sibling. It's like you love them to death sometimes. Sometimes you don't. But in my and situation, to death. <laughs> yeah, in my situation, I love all these people with all my heart. And so when you're met with like... But you want relationships outside of exactly. It's like, that group. So when you, when you get met with like some type of like conflict but you don't necessarily want to make it a big deal but you still need a place to go to feel your feelings like where do you go when you don't have anyone outside of that house and for me i, I got met because everybody's that. sharing just so everybody knows they're all sharing rooms so it's not like there's anywhere that you can go for privacy if you just want to feel your feelings yeah and most of the time like we're we everybody's in the same boat. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. So we're all like we're all like I don't know, I don't want to keep using the word validating, but like we're all very um open to to that kind of expression. But like sometimes it doesn't matter. You still need to go on a walk or you still need to get away and um for me, like I'm someone who is a real people pleaser, but also like I just I'm super extroverted. I need to be around people. Um and so when I'm, I feel trapped in my house and it, most of the time it isn't even because anyone in the house, it's just cause like, I don't want to be cooped up in this house, but yeah. all these guys are doing their business. They're working here in this house right now. Um, sometimes I can be like, Hey, who wants to go on a walk and someone will do that. But sometimes people are busy or out doing things. And a lot of the people in the group do have friends out here. So, um, that for a while is getting better now as I started talking to someone new, um, but for a while it was just like, well, <laughs> coming home, you know, going to sleep, coming home, maybe watching a movie, working on some music, going to sleep and then waking up, going to work again doing the same and doing the thing. same thing. And yeah. some, and that's the thing, like those, those times really suck, but you have to acknowledge when they're happening that it's just kind of part of it. And you're always going to have times like that for the rest of your life you're gonna have times where you feel like you're not doing shit um and that's the that's the beautiful thing about it but also again the completely petrifying thing yeah. it's like you don't want to you it's hard to meet new people and especially in an ambitious ambitious city like that like yeah, everyone has got like their little persona they put on that i was talking about in the beginning and so or they want you to read their screenplay or everybody wants exactly something. and so i'm someone who I really want to advertise what I'm working on, but I've realized like out of being in that city that people want to get to know me first and know that I'm a person that isn't just going to shove my shit in their face first and (laughs) who's going to want to hang out with them and get to know them before I start being like, yeah, this is what I do. This is what I'm into. Because you're coming on the back end probably of somebody already having, you know, a hundred conversations where somebody wanted something from them. 
So it's not even about you at that point. It's about the natural reaction that everybody's developed in L.A. is this is just another person that wants something from me. And that was something that was really hard for me to learn and, and ticked a lot of my friends off when I first moved in was that, like, I didn't understand that. And so I would get really excited about opportunities that would happen for me in my career and my music endeavors and stuff. So when I talk about them, it would seem braggadocious as hell when in reality, um, it, like if I was acting the same way back here in Portland with like my close, close friends, they'd know that I wasn't like, look what I did. Like, yeah. You didn't. And they'd know it was my excitement. But like in a city where everyone's trying to, you know, put the stuff they've done on a pedestal and, and shove their shit in your face, like the more you talk about the opportunities you have, the more people just don't want to be around you. Yeah. Because it's just like they already hear that on yeah, a regular basis, yeah, and yeah, so like yeah. that was hard for me, um, and I got faced with the real hard truth of that, and then, you know, it took me a little bit to to get used to that, but like, I don't know. Once I learned it, like, it well, starts... you probably experienced it from other people. Oh yeah, um, and so like once I got that down, I was like, okay, um that felt like there you'll have things like that that just feel like this hurdle that you could never yeah, ever yeah, get yeah. but once you get it you feel so much better and you feel one step closer to being the person that you really want to be and yeah. and that's not to say that you'll ever really be exactly who you want to be because we're always growing and we're always yeah, learning there's yeah. never going to be a time where you hit your peak learning hey. point Yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> There's never going to be a point where you hit your peak Absolutely. learning point yeah. or your peak learning level and you're like, okay, I'm good here. Um, and so, like, I don't know, realizing that and realizing that, like, there's got to be room for mistakes. Yeah. You've got to give your friends that space to, to make a mistake or yeah. create an accident or anything like that in order to move forward and realize that, like, that's how the relationship's going to be in general. Yeah. And the best part about friendships and, and romantic relationships and family relationships is is being able to go like, that doesn't matter because I love you. Or not even that. Or embrace I can hold best. you in count yeah. accountable for that. I can embrace how shitty this is or the position that you put me in, the uncomfortable position you may have put me in. Um, speaking from my perspective or anybody's perspective in that situation. Um, but then you can be like if that person is respectful they can be like i'm sorry and i fucked up and mm -hmm. i need to own my shit and here's what i'll do to do that and then you can move on and you can treat that as like a really really amazing learning experience yeah. as shitty as the experience felt that's one of the best learning experiences yeah. you can ever expect not a lot of people get that because not a lot of people throw themselves out of their comfort zone yeah. And so being in that environment where you, we're constantly forced to do that because that's the way that we're living. We're living all together in a super yeah. small house. Comfort zone is, you know, <laughs> it's a wild card. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I love that you and your dad have practiced, and I think it came from your dad, is when you do something that hurts somebody else or, you know, you know unintentional you know thing that you do your dad established this thing where he would apologize and then say is there any way that I can is there anything I can do to make it up for you make it up to you it's not that I can take away what I did but I'll feel better if I can do something practically practical that could at least help alle alleviate some of this tension. Even if that's me shutting the fuck up. And, exactly. And, leaving. And, leaving. <laughs> and I think that that, I, I, I see that in you, and I think that that's one of the things that I appreciate. And most of the time when your dad says stuff like that to me, I'm like, no, I, there isn't anything that you can do. That's, you know, but I appreciate the afterwards, you know, after I've cooled down, the gesture. Because then you can go back and like, or the person can come to you and go, I thought of something you Exactly, exactly. If you say it in that moment, you go, okay, like, I, f I screwed up, I'm sorry. And I know that's, like, maybe the last thing you want to hear from me like right now. But if there's anything I can do, let me know. And if they're like, there's nothing you can do, then I'll leave. And I'll be prepared for them to come to me later and say, yeah, I actually need you to do a better job at apologizing about that. Or actually, yeah. like, 
I want to go on a walk with you or actually like I don't want to talk to you for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you made a mistake, the person that you hurt with that mistake can honestly react however they need to react. Yeah. Um or at least they're, you know, they're entitled to that space yeah. and you can't take that away from them by being like well, let's just get this over with. Let's work this out. You know, like it's like, I'm sorry I messed up, but yeah, can we just be friends again? That's not, that's yeah. not healthy, nor is it helpful. And that also when people do that to me, I feel like you're not sorry. You just want me to shut up about it and stop being hurt, but you're not sorry. And that's why I can get really frozen in moments like that, because I don't want to say any more that is going to potentially hurt the person. But if the person needs more from me in that moment, yeah. I can really shut down and be like, I can just look like completely emotionless and completely like, like, I don't know, traumatized. Mm -hmm. When in reality, I'm just in my head like, I don't, I know I've I've screwed up. I don't want to hurt this person anymore. And I go on full like, you know, autopilot mode. And that's like me and my mom were having a conversation about this the other day. How like, you know, in relationships there needs to be room for someone to just be like, hey, like, this isn't over. Like, we're having an argument right now, but, like, this is stressing me out, and I know I'm not going to say anything helpful or productive in these next five minutes. Can I take those five minutes to go on a walk? Um, I, I can share my location with you if you need to know where I am, yeah. but I just need to, like, get out of the house, take a deep breath, and then we, I can come back and we can do this again. Yeah. And there needs to be room for that, Absolutely. always. Um, and so like, cause for me, there's spaces and times in, in Los Angeles where I don't feel like I have that, where if I would have had that, where I could have just like gotten up, gone on a walk, came back and, and reevaluated my stuff. Like I would have been really, I would end up not in a better place, but I would have felt better about the way I handled things. Yeah. Um, cause yeah. there's things I've, I'm still kicking myself for like how, why would I why would I have said that when I was getting confronted on something I did wrong? Why would have I said that? Why would I Because you're in a you're learning. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. and and that's the whole that's the whole thing. Yeah. But so before we go, I wanted to ask you, I try to make it a point to ask this to every guest. Um are there specific self-care things that you do? And then also, is there a spiritual practice that has helped you? And by spiritual practice, I try to say this every time, by spiritual practice, I'm not talking about reading your Bible or prayer. If that's your spiritual practice, that's awesome. What I mean by a spiritual practice, it could be, like you've said, walks. So that might be yours. It could mean, like for me, it's archery and then hiking in the woods meditation, um, mindfulness, you know, things that self-care and ground you back into yourself. Do you have, could you share maybe something that works for you along those lines? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said earlier, going on walks is something that's really important for me. I, I have a really long trek to and from work. Um, so making sure that like, I get off the bus maybe two or three miles bef- like before my actual stop so I can walk and then I'll play like whatever songs I'm working on in my headphones so I can get ideas because I'm always inspired by the cities that I'm in. So if I'm not looking around and seeing like the environment, I'm not going to really have a lot to work with. So mm-hmm. having those walks, not only am I getting that that energy, that that focus, but I'm also just able to still work and and expand the stuff that I care about which in its own way is another spiritual practice is just sitting down and and making a song or trying to make a song Mm -hmm. and it's 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 spiritual to be like I can't write anything right now yeah (laughs) fuck it and there's that fucking mentality again um but yeah I think the having that that walking um routine has been helpful but also you know sometimes I'm just at home and I don't really know what to do. I'm kind of just like roaming around the house. And like, if I'm feeling that way, sometimes I just go into the bathroom. This is something an old friend of mine, we're not even close anymore, taught me. But like, I used to have these little like anxiety attacks and then go, go in the bathroom and, 
and do a superhero pose or like pretend you're a superhero in the mirror and like that's something that can really get me back on my own like kooky level and just like that's a that's a grounding thing oh for sure and so like like this is me this is i'm in this shit like it's gonna be okay i look like a ding dong right now but i'm having fun and (laughs) do you usually catch yourself laughing is that yeah occasionally like depends on how rough i'm doing but (laughs) (laughs) but i found like i find that really helpful and it's funny like that's someone that i personally don't have a connection with as much anymore but that one thing is really really stood out for me i've never that's a new one i didn't you've never told me that before i like that okay so do you have before we go do you have anything that you want to plug well i i want you to plug the things where people can find your music yeah your instagram all of that stuff but also anything else that you have in the works that people can find out about so um if you want to find me on social media everything instagram twitter uh spotify is where you can find my music i'm on all streaming services all of that is just jasper typical if it's uh social media it's just jasper typical no spaces no capitals none of that just jasper typical um i'm most active on my instagram i update things pretty frequently on there um i have an album that i just released may 31st called brother um and that's actually a lot about my relationship with my family and the tools that i've used to kind of survive in that transition from uh portland to los angeles and um right now i'm working on a project uh called rat creatures um it's a little bit of a smaller one but it's something what inspired it uh, i'm a huge fan of the the book series bone by jeff smith um are you listening jeff smith (laughs) (laughs) but uh the book it's the the title itself um was just a way for me to to pay gratitude to what those books did for me Mm -hmm. um and to pave the way for musical endeavors in the future that i want to i really want to focus on what those books are about but for the time being um i just kind of want to you know hold that moniker i really connect with the the characters in the book rat creatures and so i felt like i don't know it was fitting and when is that coming out um it's got a rough release date of, of next fall, so a little under a year from now. Um, the Brother is out now, everybody. The Brother's out now. Services. It's all on streaming. Um, I'm a part of the, a music collective band called Raised by the Internet, um, founded by uh, Jelani Arie, who's an up-and-coming, uh, just great artist, all-around all kind dude. But He just released... Is his album out? He just released his first single okay, for his so, album, yeah. and he's performing tonight, actually, in New York um, for Pigeons and Planes, No Ceilings, which is amazing. Um, but this year is our our solo project, so everyone from the group who's an artist is releasing their solo work, and then next year is going to be very uh, oriented towards our, our group endeavor and what we can do as a band and together. Um, yeah. And so... Right now, we're well. We're very focused on solo work. We're we're starting to kind of brew up what those that project's gonna look like. But so everybody can find the other band members through your. Instagram. So through my Instagram or Raised Internet at Raised Internet on Twitter and Instagram. If you go to the following section, everyone that we follow is members or managers of the group, okay. um, and and that's where you can also get all the information you'd like yeah. about what we're doing and what we're up to. We. We post regular um, kind of recap videos on our YouTube page. We we do music videos on a regular basis. Um, I've got one coming out soon. Um, but yeah, we we do all sorts of stuff. We're always making things. We're always having fun. So there's always going to be that content there if you'd like to, to see it. Great. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, so like I say every week... I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. And if you don't, I don't necessarily want to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) Because this is for people that like to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, You can find me at angiefatal.com. I do one-on-one 
soul care appointments where we get into all of this stuff, interpersonal stuff, spiritual stuff, self-care stuff. I also do archery, meditative archery workshops and mindful archery workshops. I will be in Colorado next week doing these right right outside of Denver. What are the dates dates for that? Oh, thanks. The Friday the 4th and Saturday the 5th. Of October. Yep, of October. I just said next week. So, yeah, but, oh, yeah, it's true. Know. It's a podcast. It's eternal. You never know. Um, there are still some workshop availability, some spaces left over. So if you want to sign up for that, um, hit me up at angiefatal at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at soulcare with, at, with Angie Fatal. And um, those workshops are posted there. Again, take care of yourself, be kind, and lean in towards loving kindness. And I will see you or talk to you next week. Remember who you are. Yes. B-b-b-b-b-side, B-side. You're on the B-side, B-side, where the funny stuff is found. Yeah. So when you mentioned um, the Bone comics, it's funny, I just realized that we went to Comic-Con in San Diego. That's when you met Jelani face-to-face and were invited to join Raised by the Internet, which led you to L.A. But when you were, how old were you when we went to the Portland Comic-Con? I think I was eight. I I feel like you were young. Yeah, maybe eight. I feel like you were younger than that. But we went because we knew that Jeff was going to be there, the creator of the Bone Comics. And you took, we, we have the entire Bone Comics in one edition, which is bigger than the Bible. Yeah. And at the time was, um, it's pretty easy to get now but at the time it was a little harder to get and it was super super exciting for me i brought that everywhere i went it has it has dirt stains on it it has like blood stains on it it just has i brought it to me with probably boogers probably boogs for sure (laughs) but i like brought it with me to school i brought it on the playground it was so tell the story so we go to portland comic-con which is Pretty tiny. It's the, what was it? Stumptown Comic Fest. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't even Comic-Con. Stumptown Comic Fest. You bring your Bone comic, the giant book, and what happens? So we, we're in this little conference hall, and he's doing a little, kind of just a rundown of what some of the stuff he's doing. And at the time, it had included that book. It, it was pretty new. Um, and he came up right in the front. And, and since we were right there in the front, he grabbed it. And yeah, because he it. didn't have one. He didn't have one on him, so he used it as, like, reference. And then afterwards, we had been fans for a while, and we had already had made a, co- a Halloween costume that I had worn one year, and he had put it on his website. So when we came up and we had the mask and we had the book, he was super, super kind. We got to talk to him for, like, probably, like, 30 minutes. Well, yeah, he signed your book, and then what did he, he drew, do? He drew pictures, and uh, he drew a picture in my book, and drew a picture for my little sister, and just was like so kind. And we have a good picture. We should put it in the. Yeah, for sure. Do you have it? I don't know. I'm sure Dad could yeah. find it, but we'll put that in the show notes or somewhere. I don't know how that works, but. <laughs> but it was just a really humbling experience he's someone who he's one of my biggest inspirations on the planet like all my art that i've ever made has been inspired by him well didn't we also read it aloud as a family yeah we read it aloud as a family every night until we finished it and so like finally getting to i don't know it was just so weird as a kid that was like that person wrote to what to me was like the bible or like the that's like the meeting the creator of Harry Potter. Well, he like... was well, he was joking. I remember being in that conference room because he was joking. He had to go through a Bible publisher to get it published because it had so many pages. Yeah, it, it was. The other thing that I remember him saying is it's when like thirteen hundred pages. I, think. I don't know. When he wrote the book, he wrote it for for adults. He never envisioned that those adults would then have children and read the story 
to their children. So he never realized the life that those that that story was going to have. There was a total resurgence, and now it's just become this phenomenon of like, you know, we're still waiting for the movie. My dream, and this is would be full circle, but my dream is to eventually one day compose the the soundtrack for that film. Oh my gosh! And that's that's the that's the goal, and that's why I'm like starting to sit these little Easter egg yeah. hints out. But Jeff, if you're listening to this, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, but. But for real, I'm sure he still wants to make the movie. I'm sure. <laughs> but, but anyway, that was a good story. Cute little story. Okay. Thank you. Bye.